Welcome to the Wild Health Podcast. I'm Wendy John. This episode, I've invited Georgina Chelberg to join us. Georgina is a PhD candidate at University of Queensland, and she also works at the CSIRO eHealth Research Centre. So she's right across the dementia app space, having conducted research into what is working for consumers and where the gaps are, or as vendors would know, where the opportunities to provide better solutions are. Welcome to Wild Health, Georgina. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. To kick off today, Georgina is going to start with an acknowledgement of country. Okay, so I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands where I'm learning and researching, and that is the, the lands of the Turrbal, Yagara, Jagara and Kondamuka peoples of Mianjin and surrounds, and pay my respects to their elders past, present, and all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. And I'm dialing in from Gadigal country of the Aora Nation, land unceded. So Georgina, could you just start by giving us a bit of a rundown about dementia statistics in Australia? Yeah, so you might not sort of think of dementia as a health priority, but it certainly is. And we have around 500,000 Australians living with dementia. And many of those people are living in the community. So 80% of people are living at home and not necessarily in aged care. Um, dementia, as I said, is a, a health concern. It's actually the number one cause of death for women and um, the second leading cause of death overall after cardiovascular disease. Um, we also know that um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people at three to five times the risk of dementia diagnosis than non-Indigenous people. Um, so there's some really important uh, considerations around all of those facts and that Dementia is not just a biomedical concern, it has social impacts, um, mental health, and I guess challenges around independence and relationships. So how big would you say the dementia app market is? Yeah, so our research, we retrieved over 800 unique apps in the Australian marketplace. So we looked at Google App Store and the Apple App Store um, using search terms and um, then through our screening process, we obviously brought that back down um, to apps with more relevance as to what we're looking for and retained 75 apps. Um, so if you think about, you know, a consumer getting on, you know, Apple App Store to look for an app that could support them around dementia diagnosis if a loved one's been diagnosed or themselves, that's obviously quite overwhelming for someone looking for something that could be useful for them. Oh, absolutely. And with the other barriers that might be there in terms of uh, age, technological, digital uh, literacy, uh, living in an area where they may not have great Wi-Fi. So just even getting their hands on an app, let alone having to choose one from the 800 to 75, there's a lot of barriers. Yeah, certainly. And, um, and that was certainly you know, I guess a bit of a sort of unexpected finding of our research. So, um, yeah, we were surprised, I guess, at the complexity of the marketplace um, and the fact that there were so many um, 
many of them driven by commercial interests. So not only within the product itself, such as advertising, um, but an insight into how apps appear in the search results. So the algorithms behind how an app is, um, where it, you know, where it's prioritised in that search results. Are these, um, were there 75 apps, oh, sorry, let me ask, were the 800 apps all specifically for dementia or were they for people who had challenges in ageing in general and had a dementia component? Uh, yeah, I would say it was sort of the broader um, reference to ageing and dementia concerns. So when you put in a search term like dementia or Alzheimer's, which is what we used, an app developer could put, you know, that keyword in their listing so it will retrieve that in the results. So some of them are very lightly <laughs> referring to dementia, like brain games or, um, you know, brain training sort of things, um, which really didn't offer much in the way of dementia support. So what were the um, key findings? What did you find that was of interest? Well, I think aside from the proliferation of apps, very few once we actually evaluated them were of, of you know good quality. So we applied the mobile application rating system, which is a framework developed by some researchers at UQ, um, to look at the quality of apps and their usability. So very few of the dementia apps in the Australian marketplace rated very well. That was content aside, it was just usability, they didn't rate very well. Oh, no, both. So okay. the Mars framework actually assesses um, content, usability um, and engagement and and a list of things um, to sort of consider how useful it is in terms of a health, you know, managing a health condition. Um, we also found that the primary audience was caregivers and health professionals or family. It wasn't necessarily for a person living with dementia, although there were some. And the content areas, I guess, flowing on from that then were, you know, information about dementia, practical caregiving um, support and support for communication with someone living with dementia. So maybe could you outline some more of, of the specific functionality that you would suggest a dementia app should have? Uh, look, I, I think that's still an area of research and the important consideration there is that it can be quite specific to a range of factors such as the end user. Um, so a person living with dementia versus a primary caregiver. Um, but it's also impacted by the type of dementia someone might be living with and the way that the um, dementia progresses. So a person, each person's journey is slightly different. So I, I can't really pinpoint a list, but I could give you an example. Um, prior research, for, say for example, for a caregiver, um, found that caregivers benefit from more than just standalone app, um, but actually by offering some kind of community connection, like a chat group or a, a way of joining up with other people experiencing similar roles. And actually there's a group, and we refer to this in our research paper, there's a group led by La Trobe University uh, with Irene Blackberry, 
who trialled this with their app called Verily Connect. So it was designed for caregivers living in remote areas and it offered sort of bite-sized chunks of information in a modern sort of easy to use app. But importantly, it was paired with some local support. So they actually had volunteers in the local community offer to assist people with using the app and learning about dementia. And yeah, so it's really valuable, um, I guess, making digital health part of uh, the way people can find support. So still that human content contact is important. Bit of a hybrid approach. Yeah, certainly. So, yeah, they've um, now published some of their findings. So, and that was that Verily Connect app was one of the um, the, the apps. Not surprisingly, that rated uh, very well overall in our in our evaluation. Yeah. So, so you, usability, um, content, connection to a, a real person or communities, and that caregivers were predominantly using the apps rather than people with the experience of dementia. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's interesting the 80% of people with dementia are living in the community, which it does it does open the opportunity for, you know, significant steps to be made in digital health for those people living not some would be living semi-independently, some would have various levels of support. What do you, yeah. what would you envision? What would you love to see happening in that space? Where I'm going with my PhD and where I hope to take this research further is to consider how we can um, create uh, digital health solutions that support people along the journey and in, in a similar way to the Verily Connect app, not just a standalone product that's there and you may or may not find it, but something that's actually embedded in the, the way we, you know, our models of care for people. So something that somewhere along the pathway of care they might come across, they might be introduced to this and connected up through, through a health professional. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything else that you wanted to add about mobile apps for dementia? Um, look, probably following on from your question um, around, you know, the the big challenge for consumers in navigating this space. And one of the recommendations from our paper was that persons living with dementia and their caregivers and family could benefit from some advocacy in navigating the marketplace. So our research, not only did we find, hey, there's not actually that many great apps, um, but understanding that marketplace, um, you know, I think there's room there for key dementia groups and care providers to help people navigate that space. And so a good example of that that we discovered in Ireland was the National Health and Social Care Entity partnered with a group in the uh, UK-based group called Orca. Oh, yeah, Orca. Their CEO spoke at the Digital Health Institute Summit earlier this year, virtually. Yeah, so the Irish uh, Health and Social Care Entity partnered with them to create a dementia library, uh, sorry, dementia apps library. Uh, So they actually had, you know, this multi-stage evaluation prior to an app being endorsed. 
but what it means is a, a person that's you know diagnosed or a family member can get support from someone in finding an app that suits their needs and as the you know as the condition progresses other apps might be more useful down the track so i think that was a really great example of of a way of helping consumers find quality digital products we don't have those levels of uh, standards for mobile apps though implemented in australia though do we no we don't um you know most health apps can be created without meeting you know certain criteria about their accuracy and quality so you know some of the information we found in the dementia apps was actually quite misleading and quite fear-based so i think you know there there is a lot more to do around the quality indicators of apps in the marketplace do you think there's an advantage of having an australian app yeah well um I was going to say, actually, one of the other things we was, we had sort of put down to mention to you was just that during the course of the study, um, 15 of the apps that we thought, you know, actually we'd look at that more closely and evaluate it, disappeared. They weren't long. They were no longer available in the marketplace. So this included apps that had association with the universities and uh, several apps from Dementia Australia, which is the national dementia organisation. So that really surprised us. Um, and I think it just highlights the sustainability of apps, like even ones that are quality um, are subject to, you know, funding rounds and, um, yeah, which, which is a bit of a concern because there were, you know, obviously apps put out and endorsed by Dementia Australia are going to be, you know, appropriate and relevant and quality. So, so there's yeah. a, a commercial a concern or a commercial consideration for this kind of technology that, yeah. that has an impact on not just the people who are creating the the app would have a huge impact on the consumers too. Yeah, so if you were using an app that you found useful and then it was no longer funded. <laughs> so one of those apps was, um, it actually offered information and support around um, different cultures. And so one of the other findings from our paper were that there was a lack of apps designed and created with non-dominant cultures. So only four apps out of the 75 that we evaluated offered uh, multiple language options. That's crazy. And there was actually no app that we identified designed with or for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And given that we know they face a higher risk of dementia, you know, that there was an obvious lack of um, an app to support that caregiving and information in culturally relevant ways. That perpetuates inequity. Yeah, absolutely. So that's another, in, in, uh, stay tuned folks, because a, another story that I'm going to be doing with Georgina down the track is leading best practice for digital health for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. So stay tuned for that story because we'll talk more about how important 
it is and what best practice is in that space. Um, it just goes to show, I guess, the kind of people who are designing these apps are not reflective of the people who are necessarily using them. And uh, that, that has a lot of implications, right? Yeah, so, you know, the ones that we identified through the application of that framework were the ones, the ones that rated highly, tended to have more professional affiliations like universities um, and organisations that used co-design in the way the apps were developed and particularly that, you know, that Verily Connect one as an example. Um, was not just created and put in the marketplace, it was, you know, developed over a period of time with stakeholders. It's UX at its best when the people who are using the product are fundamentally driving the design mm. in important ways. Yeah, yeah. Okay. which I've heard uh, termed human-centred technology. Yeah, So yeah. the people using it are part of the process of creating it. What do you think um, it's in the way of that happening more often? Speed to market? Yes. Commercial yes, drivers? What? Yes, funding. You know, a lot of, you know, if, if you're a university, you're subject to funding rounds of sort of three years and it's very difficult to turn around a project in one funding round. So, yes. Mm. And it does take longer. Human-centred design got... takes longer and it is yeah. harder, but the outcomes are usually better. Mm. And then, of course, you've got to find a way to make that sustainable. If it's a, mm. you know, if it's a good product to keep it keep it available for people. Georgina Chelberg, thank you so much for your time on Wild Health Podcast today. Thank you very much, Wendy. I'm Wendy John. You've been listening to the Wild Health Podcast. Now, before you go, let me make a plug for our inaugural CXO Cloud Healthcare Summit. So, after a few cancellations to COVID. It's finally going ahead as a hybrid event on May 24th, face-to-face in Sydney as well as online. Now this is Australia's first summit dedicated to comprehensively dealing with the key trends in healthcare, cloud technology management, policy reform and funding in Australia. And topics in the summit will include key issues surrounding effective interoperability in Australia, the rapidly emerging potential of virtual care, new business models for healthcare through the cloud, current and emerging funding paradigms for the cloud, and many more. So you can see the full agenda and speakers and register to join us online by going to wildhealth.net.au and clicking on summits at the top. Hope to see you there. Now, if you've liked what you've heard, head on over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you normally find your podcasts. You can listen to our other podcasts and subscribe. Leave us a review while you're there. We'd love that. And if you want to get a lateral look at all things eHealth, subscribe to our newsletter at wildhealth.net.au. Thanks for tuning in.